Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Amen. I'm excited about that. Now, I, 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 for me, it's a kind of a, a little bit of a torn thing because we celebrate Easter, but the truth is, is that I, from my standpoint, I celebrate Easter every single Sunday. You know, like every single Sunday is Resurrection Sunday because every single Sunday, people are turning their lives over to Jesus and a miracle is happening in their life. A miracle of being dead in sin and lostness and being raised back to life again into, into a new, brand new life. And so that happens all the time. So we celebrate that on a regular basis. But next Sunday is a day that we allocate as the day to celebrate the day that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And because it's a special Sunday and because oftentimes there are individuals who, who will, will, because of, of tradition or whatever, will come to church on that particular Sunday, maybe they do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're just praying. I love all these cards that we've received of names that you have, that you have given people we're going to be praying for. We're just believing God for a revival to happen, for the Holy Spirit to convict hearts of sin and for people to basically fall on their face before Jesus and say, Jesus, take my life. Amen? I would not be unhappy if this building got filled to capacity because people are turning their lives over to Jesus Christ. Amen? And so let's just keep, just keep praying about that. Now, this coming Friday is, um, is Good Friday. And um, it just it's a soft part in my heart because I remember I've been serving Jesus for about 41 years. And I remember when I first became a Christian, the church that we were a part of, we sang mostly hymns, occasionally a chorus, you know, and there was always that guy in the church that would complain because we're singing off the wall, he would say, just singing off the wall, you know, because there was some words on the wall that we were singing, a choruses that we were singing. So he was more happy with hymns, hymnals in our hand, right? But we would sing hymns, and I remember early on thinking of how I... Uh, connected with those hymns, particularly that, that spoke of the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. That song, At the Cross, At the Cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my life rolled away. It was there by faith. Uh, I received my sight, and now I am happy every day, or something like that. It's been a long time. It's been 40-something years, okay? But, uh, but th those songs, they, they just, they grounded me. There was something about talking about the cross. There was something about remembering the cross of Jesus Christ, the price that was paid for your sin and my sin that grounds us, that brings us back to ground zero and says, this is where it all began. This is why, this is why I can call myself a Christian because of the price that Jesus Christ paid. Movies like The Passion of Christ depict in a very graphic way what that was like. Very, very difficult. It was probably the lowest moment of Jesus' life. The cross is a symbol of suffering and a symbol of grace. But for most of us, we just know the suffering that he went through. He's beaten, he's ridiculed. And then he hangs on a cross as a common thief. And if that wasn't bad enough, everything that happened to Jesus up to that moment, then there's a thief on the cross that decides to mock him, to ridicule him some more, 
Luke 23 says this. There's two thieves hanging next to Jesus. Luke 23 says this, verse 39. One of the criminals who was hanging there railed at him, saying, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Like in his last hour, he's mocking Jesus. In his last hour, he's, he's taking this, 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 this person, this Christ, and he's just ridiculing him. And those voices still reverberate throughout history. There are still people throughout history that will say, I mean, Christians, God, yeah, what? Do something for us. But then there's another thief. <clears throat> but the other rebuked him, the other thief on the cross, saying, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Our, and we, rightly so, for we are getting what we deserve for what we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, this, this thief speaking to Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, can you imagine this thief on the cross? What a strange day for this criminal. Like the worst day of his life, the worst day of his life becomes the best day of his life because he actually has a relationship with Christ. He's going to spend eternity with Christ. I wish we knew more about this, this, this thief. Uh, I've tried to find some historical data on him, and there's just not a whole lot out there. It's kind of scarce. And people speculate. They try, try to throw names at who this person might have been or not been. You know, We don't really know. We don't really know who this thief was. Um, what we do know in the annals of history, what we do know about him is that he was a thief hanging on a cross who, got, who received an 11th hour pardon. Something happened to him while he hung on that cross next to Jesus, spent six hours next to Christ, and there was a transformation that caused him to go from being a criminal, a person who was there deserving death, a criminal, to suddenly, after six hours, spending eternity with Christ in heaven. It seems kind of crazy, but something powerful happens to him, like he's ridiculing Jesus, and then he ends believing and defending Jesus. So what happened? What happened to this man? And whatever happened to him, I pray that's what happens to some of us today. So what I pray, can I see that box, Wayne, please? What I pray that happens to all of these, my goodness, names in this book, in this, in this box, of people, who, of people who come to this realization that they're sinners, and that they need Jesus Christ. And Jesus, wherever they are in life, whatever position they find themselves in, whatever dire situation they find themselves in, Jesus steps in and forgives them of their sin. And that's the fault of Christ that we, that we follow. So I don't know much about this man, but part of me wants to think that this historian is someone who had you know, kind of a string of bad luck, a series of unfortunate events. Like things just went awry for him, and Jesus in the la very last minute of his life brings justice to him. I got something flying around me. <laughs> Jesus, at the last part of his life, brings justice to him by forgiving him of his sin. You know, I'd like to think that he was born into a family by accident. 
mom never knew who the father was. And so early on in his life, there's a string of men in and out of the house, and there's all kinds of rejection and abuse. And by the age of five, his mother basically abandons him to the streets. This is not uncommon in those days for orphans to be beggars. So I imagine that he's on the streets begging. And that's okay because truly, a beggar in those days would make a better living than trying to live a good life as an orphan. I'd like to think that he grew up to be a kind boy. And that by the age of 12, he wasn't just caring for himself, but he was caring for other orphans in the back streets of Jerusalem. I imagine that one day this this boy is rummaging through the trash and he finds a loaf of bread and he's so excited because he's gonna take this loaf of bread and he's gonna feed those other kids on the, that he's been hanging with. And so he's running home and he, he's stopped by a Roman soldier who says, who, where'd you get that bread from? And accuses him of stealing it. The next thing you know, this little boy is in prison and there he experiences one injustice after another. And then one day in self-defense, a Roman soldier is beating on him and he strikes back and he kills this soldier and now he finds himself on death row and hanging on a cross. You know why I'd like to think of this, think of his, of this man's story like this? Because it means that he didn't deserve this death. He didn't deserve to die the way he died. And that really... God, last minute gift of grace is just a way of bringing justice to this man's life. After all, that's the Christ that we serve, right? He's the one that looks out for the overlooked and the unloved. If you study the gospel, you'll find that to be true. There's this blind beggar that is, uh, Jesus is walking through a town. There's this blind beggar who starts screaming out. They hear of, he hears of the rabbi coming through. He starts screaming out, Rabbi, Jesus, heal my blindness. And he's screaming to the top of his lungs. The people around him are saying, shut up, be quiet. What are you doing? Don't bother the master. But Jesus hears him. And he makes time for him. And he heals him. Or we have the story of this woman. This woman who's caught in the act of adultery. Like they don't just suspect her of it. She is caught in the act of adultery. And so she's humiliated, she's guilty. What does Jesus do? Jesus comes alongside her to rescue her. I'm not surprised. God has a heart for the down and out. God cares for those who are overlooked and undervalued. The Bible tells us in Psalms that he is the God of the fatherless and a father to the fatherless. I say all this to you is if you feel like you've not had a fair shake, like the deck has been stacked against you, like things have not gone the way you have thought they should go, I think that if you met Jesus, you would like him. And he would love you back. That's how he is. I mean, that's what you see in Jesus. He's constantly making time for people that no one else made time for. He loved the unloved. He loved the overlooked. So I'd like to think that this is a Steve story, but something inside of me says it might not be that way. I kind of wish it was, because if it was, I can feel better about this forgiveness that he receives, right? Like, 
Like it meant that somehow he deserved it. Like he's forgiven. He had lived this very unjust life. The deck was stacked against him, and Jesus comes along and rescues him at the last hour and forgives him. And, you know, he deserves that. I would like to think that way. There's something about us that we're more comfortable with that kind of forgiveness. And yet what we see about this guy actually is in his final breath he's saved. And he didn't do anything to deserve it. Like he didn't attend church regularly like you're doing. The offering plate went by. He didn't put any offerings in the offering plate. He didn't give the kingdom builders. He didn't do any of those things. And yet Jesus forgives him. And he has a place in heaven. And it can sometimes feel like that's unfair, like we work so hard, and yet look at him, he just gets right in. And that can be the sentiment of a lot of people. There's part of us that would want that. Like, ah, oh, he should have deserved it a little bit more, right? And I think the reason why is because we've come to believe this false gospel. This gospel that some of you might even believe now. That Jesus pays the membership fee, but you and I, we have to pay the monthly dues. You and I, we have to work at it, you know, or else you're not in, uh-uh. You got you to gotta prove yourself. And that's not, that's not the gospel. We forget that none of us deserve this. Not a single one of us in this room. I don't care how long you've been serving Christ. I don't care how many great things you have done. If you've been to the mission field, if you've preached a thousand sermons, you don't deserve this. None of us do. But there's something inside of us that makes us think at times that we do. We forget about it. I remember the first time I flew, the uh, first time, I don't fly, I say it, sound like I'm saying it like I fly a lot first class, I don't. But the first time I flew first class was in 1995. I was flying from uh, Dhaka, Bangladesh. Let me pause for a second, you guys in Cedar Rapids and Corville. By the way, just so you know, there's like the purple and gold here. Uh, this might have been subconscious, I don't know. I know there's a game this afternoon. And, um, but here's the deal, I'm in a dilemma. Okay, I personally am in a, in a dilemma. I have to choose, you guys, you guys live in Iowa, you guys are great, Iowa, go Hawkeyes, right? Uh, uh, but uh, <clears throat> I have to choose between happy wife or happy ministry. So I've been very subtle here, okay? Because I choose, I, I, I want both. <laughs> but anyways, that has nothing to do with what I'm, what I'm talking about. <laughs> I remember the first time I flew first class, it was flying from Bangladesh to, 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 uh, to Houston, Texas. And we were flying British Airways. And it was just me. I was going back. There were some things I had to go back for business-wise. And uh, I, I went to the British Airways counter. And the, 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 the direction for that flight was Dhaka to Delhi, Delhi to London, London to Houston. That was sort of the, 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 the itinerary. And so the Dhaka to Delhi flight, the first class cabin, didn't have a lot of passengers. And so I walked up. I didn't know. I just went to check in. Hey, I'm flying to Houston. There's my, here's my, my, uh, you know, my confirmation. And then they give me the boarding pass, and the boarding pass said, first class. And I'm like, whoa, yes. I've been upgraded. to. First. I didn't pay for it. I, you know, I didn't, 
they certainly didn't have enough miles for it, I'm, and I was a poor missionary, so I couldn't afford it. I mean, there was, there, this was totally an upgrade for me, and I was excited about that, especially that part where you could sit in first class, and then you could pretentiously look at all those people walking by you. Like, <laughs> coach, hi there. How's it, how, how are the seats back there? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> You know, that, 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 okay, I, didn't, I wasn't doing that. But, I mean, there is that thing that kind of rises up inside of you, right? You kind of, and yet, I didn't do anything to earn it. I didn't pay for it. It was just sort of given to me, you know. And I was kind of excited about it. And then I realized a few minutes into it that I wasn't the only one that got upgraded for free. Like, this, like suddenly the first class cabinet started filling up with people, you know. I'm like, man, there's a lot of people getting upgraded for free, you know, and like, I didn't get it for free, and I mean, I got it for free, and, and they're getting it for free, you know, and it's like pretty good. But then, but then I started, I don't know when this happened, suddenly I started kind of like looking down on some of those people. Like there was this Bengali, I think he was a Bengali businessman that got on there, he was kind of across the aisle from me, you know, and before we took off, he's sitting there and he starts digging in his ear and then pulling out some kind of crud and wiping it on a napkin. And I'm like, dude, you don't belong in first class. What are you doing here? In my head, you know, I didn't say that. But you don't belong here. You, you should go back there, you know, where you can pick your ear all you want. <laughs> the lady sitting behind me, British lady, she was super excited about, about being in first class and especially excited because you can just order whatever you want whenever you want. They'll bring it to you, you know. And so, man, she was like, there was a lot of highballs coming, you know. And she was excited about that. And I'm thinking, I'm just shaking my head, just embarrassed for her. Like, that's not the kind of people that we need in first class. <laughs> I think we can do that in the church sometimes. Or we forget that none of us deserve it. That all of us got it as a free gift. Every single one of us. <clears throat> So there's part of me that wants to believe that this guy somehow deserved God's grace, this thief, that somehow he earned it. But the reality is that this thief on this cross did not deserve it. I mean, did not earn it. He deserved death, and yet he received grace. And he, he just got it for free. So I don't know what his life was like, really, but I imagine it went something more like this, if I could speculate, that perhaps he grew up in a nice home. A mother who loved him, who would sing to him as he'd go to bed at night. A father who wanted to pass on the, uh, the family trade to him and teach him all that he knew about what he, what he should do to earn a living. Perhaps he, you know, this is the home that he grew up in. And, but then he took it all for granted. You know, like he, he didn't really appreciate all that he had. And so he decides in his own mind that he can do better than his family. And so as a teenager, he tells his parents off, and he, he goes on his own way. He finds himself on the street, getting by day by day, stealing food, clothes, whatever he can get his hands on. A few years in, into this, he develops somewhat of a reputation for violence. One day, he sees another man, and he sees there's easy access to that wallet that he has. And he says, I'm going to take that wallet finds a convenient moment to pounce on the guy, pounces on the guy, grabs the wallet. But then the man resists and a fight ensues. And before long, this man falls to the ground, hits his head on a rock, and, and he dies. 
A Roman soldier nearby sees the commotion and, and rushes in that direction. When it's all said and done, he's arrested. He spends his final days on death row, angry and bitter. And now he hangs on a cross. And I know I'm making up this story, but if you read actual historical accounts of those who died on crosses, those thieves, that's pretty accurate to what a person dying on a cross would be like. So it's likely that this was his story, the common story of that day. He was a criminal deserving death on a cross, and yet he receives eternal life. So what happened? What changed his mind? What made him humbly repent and ask Jesus for help? What caused that to happen for him? We know that he was in close enough proximity to hear Jesus speaking. So Jesus, at one point, while he's hanging on a cross, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this thief probably didn't know what that was all about. Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. It's a prophetic psalm from King David, talking about crucifixion, talking about about hands and feet being pierced hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. So why would Jesus be saying this? The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that when Jesus died, he became sin. He became sin. Now, oftentimes when we think about the passion of Christ, we often think about the suffering on the cross, the brutality of it, the physical suffering that he went through. But in my mind, I think the greater suffering of Jesus is that he became sin for you and I. God the Father turns his back on him, and Jesus becomes sin. Why? So that you and I could become the righteousness of God. The whole reason Jesus came was that our sin had separated us from God. And so Jesus is forsaken by God so that you and I could be accepted by God. So my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'll tell you why. So you and I can sit in church on a Sunday morning on April 2nd, 2023 and sit here in the righteousness of God. He became sin. So I wonder, is that what changed this thief's heart? I doubt it. I'm sure he didn't even understand the theological implications of Psalm 22. So what was it? Maybe he heard Jesus talking to John and saying, John, will you take care of my mom? care for her and he's thinking wait a minute you're going through all of this suffering and pain you're struggling here you're about to die and you're thinking about your mother the well-being of your mother maybe that's what convinced him I don't know but if I had to guess I would say that the moment that really changed his heart was when Jesus prayed for the soldiers These soldiers had beaten Jesus. They had brutally mistreated him. And Jesus decides to pray, and he doesn't pray wrath on them. Instead, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Can, Can you just think about that for a second? He doesn't pray for destruction. I mean, it was deserved in many ways. 10,000 angels were just on the edge of heaven looking down, watching the Son of God being brutally beaten, mistreated, you know, ridiculed. 
then hung on a cross like a common thief. And they're hanging there saying, Jesus, say the word, and the wrath of heaven will come down. Jesus speaks, but he doesn't, he doesn't pray for wrath. He prays for grace. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. <clears throat> and so what do you do with that kind of grace? What do you do with that kind of forgiveness? I mean, I think for this thief, it just wrecked him. Because he knows. He knows the pain that Jesus is going through. He himself is going through it. He knows what it's like. And he, in his own mind, is justly receiving what he's receiving. And here Jesus is unjustly receiving this. He knows that this is, this is bigger than he could have ever dreamed of or thought of. And something happens inside of his heart and it just breaks him. And then in that moment, his heart changes and he does what nobody else was doing. Peter was hiding. Pontius Pilate is washing his hands of it. But this thief comes to the aid of Jesus and defends him. He says, hey, we're getting what we deserved. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. There's something about that. We are getting what we deserve. There's something about the gospel that starts for you and I when we recognize this, these, these words right here. I deserved, I don't deserve. The other day as I was driving through this neighborhood, <clears throat> like I'm grateful that the building didn't get destroyed, you know. I'm grateful my house didn't get hit by the tornado. I see what's going on in the lives of other people. It's just really troubling and difficult. And it just, I just got centered for a moment. It's like, thank you, God. Not for saving my bill, but thank you, God, that you even saved me. I don't deserve the life that I have been able to live. I don't deserve, I get spent a week with my son down in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I don't deserve the kind of children that you have given me. I don't deserve those things, but it's your grace. Your grace, your grace. There's something about recognizing that we we are getting what we deserve, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ, we are not. This thief responds in faith in verse 42. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And in that moment, salvation is taking place. And so my question for you and for all of us this morning as we enter into this week of Easter is have you had that moment have you had that moment where you've come face to face with your sin and recognize that I'm a sinner in Jesus? I can do nothing for myself. I need you completely. And if you haven't, today's a good day for that to happen. And if you have, we have a little, a little saying I like to say, found people, find people. If you have found the grace of Jesus Christ in your life, then I hope that you're look, seeking and trying to reach those who have yet to find it. Amen? There's a picture, a painting by Rembrandt, the, uh, a painting of the crucifixion. The artist Rembrandt did it. And what's interesting about this picture is that Rembrandt actually pi pictures himself, he paints himself into the crucifixion here. So this is Rembrandt right there. It's a little odd-looking guy. He was, he was an odd-looking guy, but he paints himself into this picture. And what's really cool is, like, people try to speculate, what, what was he saying when he painted himself into this? What was he trying to say? 
And I think what he was saying was, there's all these people around the cross, and they're all guilty. They're all people, he's, he's like holding, you notice here, he's holding the cross up. There's a guy propping up the cross. There's somebody pulling on the cross. He's like, I cru-, basically, remember I said, I crucified Jesus. My sin crucified Jesus. There's something powerful when we come to terms with that in our lives. This thief recognized his own sin, and it broke him. And I know what that's like. I know what it's like to come face to face with your own sin and recognize you're a sinner and then to cry out for help to Jesus and he rescues. I also know what it's like to make excuses, to justify myself, to say, hey, you know, in comparison to that person over there, like that Bengali businessman who was picking his ear, you know, I'm better than that. Blame others. But I know what it's like to be broken and to recognize I'm a sinner and that I'm getting what I deserve. And so if I'm gonna be anybody in this story, I'm gonna be that thief on the cross who is next to Jesus and who is guilty. Because I know what it's like to ask God for help. I mean, it seems presumptuous for him to say to Jesus, hey Jesus, will you remember me in paradise? (laughs) Like what have you done to deserve it? You've lived a life of thievery, of violence. And now you're hanging on a cross and this last, you know, last little defense of Jesus, you think that's gonna get you in? The answer is yes. It's not what he did. He didn't deserve it. He did absolutely nothing to deserve it. And that's true for every single one of us in this room. I don't care how hard you work, To make yourself righteous, you'll never be good enough. Someday in heaven, I hope to find that nameless thief. And I'm going to find him and I'm going to say to him, hey, what Jesus did for you, he did for me too. I'm going to ask us to stand. Um, There's something... There's something about the cross that's, that brings us back to center. I think the longer we're in the faith, sometimes it's easy to just forget that we're here by grace. It's easy to forget that we didn't really deserve it. God freely gave it. And that centers us, doesn't it? It makes me realize that I'm not really any better than anybody else in this room, and you're not any better than me. We're really all people in desperate need of grace and needing Jesus Christ to step in and set us free. And so if you're here this morning, this, these two thieves on, these, on, these cro- on the cross, the two thieves that were hung next to Jesus on the cross, they're emblematic, they're emblematic of all of us. There's that thief who is cursing and vile and saying, save yourself. If you're really God, do something about it. And there are people in this world that are angry, that are bitter, that are struggling, and they're pushing God away. 
And I don't know if you're here today, if you're in that place where you assess your life and you say, man, I just had such a hard life and things have been so bad and God just hasn't protected me. And you're just pushing him away. I don't know if that's you this morning. But I want to challenge you this morning that you need him. And there's others, like this other thief, where we recognize our sin and we ask to be remembered by Christ. Let me tell you something. There's something powerful about coming back to that moment in our lives. Somebody once came up to me and said, Pastor Rich, I still appreciate you, you know, humble. I don't, I'm just hearing this stuff, you know, and I'm like listening and, and, uh, and said, you know, why? How did you do that? You know, and I guess it was context of talking about their experience with other situations that they've been in. And I felt like there was this Holy Spirit moment while I was talking to her. I said, I just never forget where I came from. I do sometimes. I do forget. And then the Holy Spirit reminds me. No, Rich. Remember, you were just that little drug I had a kid riding a bicycle behind that church. And somebody said, hey, come here. You didn't deserve this. something centering about remembering where we came from, remembering the moment that Jesus set us free. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, I want to challenge you to go back to that place, to paint yourself into the picture and remember that you, like all of us, were crucifying Jesus at one point. And Jesus prayed for you. He said, God, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And then if you're here in this room and you've never really given your life to Jesus Christ, today's a good day to do that. There are prayer team members here in the left and right, they would love to pray. I, I will pray with you if you say that's me. I want to. I need prayer and I just don't want to go to them. I, will you pray with me? I'll do that. But today is a good day. Don't leave this place without receiving the grace of Jesus Christ in your life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you. We thank you, Father, for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you, Father, for the grace that you have so lavishly poured, up, poured upon us. Father, none of us in this room have been deserving of it. And yet, you gave it. So Jesus, we thank you. And we receive it in humility, recognizing that we don't deserve it. So Holy Spirit, right now, will you speak to us, challenge us to go back to that place of when we first met you. And for those in this room, Father, who have never really surrendered their life to you, Jesus, Father, will you give them the courage to step out? to fill out that card and say, today I gave my life to Jesus, to come up to a prayer team member and ask for prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.